you can have a seat. And uh, we're wrapping up a little mini-series this morning. Um, don't worry if you haven't been with us. You're not, you, you'll be fine. But we've been doing this series called Praying for a Change. And uh, so much of this is based on the fact that a lot of times uh, we either run to everything else in the world to solve our problems or we try and figure things out or we try and make it through on our own. And then at the very end, what do we do? We get down on our knees. But what if the first thing that we did, the, the, the first reaction that we had was coming and praying before an almighty God to do whatever we need him to do, to, to be whoever we need him to be in that moment. But the other side of this is, is really, how many times do we pray these little teeny tiny prayers? We, 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 we pray maybe before our meal, we pray maybe before bedtime, but really if we looked at our prayer life, there's not anything substantial that we're leaning into God to do. That, that if God doesn't come through, then we're sunk. How many times do we pray those types of prayers? And so this morning, we're, we're kind of wrapping this series up, and, and it's just that. Is, is, are we praying to the God who we read about in this Bible, or are we praying to a God who just can be the genie who kind of helps solve some little things that we can't take care of on our own? And so this morning, if you're taking notes, I actually want to uh, talk to you around the title. You can actually tell your neighbor this. Say, hey, no matter what happens... I'm not coming up short, not coming up short. And I don't know if you've ever had a moment in your life or a season or a circumstance where you've come up short. Anybody? Just a few. Everybody else is either lazy or lying. So I don't know which one it is this morning, but every single one of us, we've had some sort of situation or circumstance where maybe we, we didn't quite meet the mark or the threshold of where we wanted to be. I remember when I was a kid, uh, I had been saving up my money for uh, this new game for the Nintendo. And um, I, I remember I had been saving like all my, my Christmas money and, and money that I'd gotten from my grandparents and for doing little chores around the house. And so finally, I had convinced my dad to drive me up to the store. And we go and I pick out the game and I go to the counter and they ring it up. And I'm like, this is great. And all of a sudden, they like tell me the price. And there's this thing called tax that I had no idea about at this age. Like, what in the world is tax? And who are they? And why do they want my money? And, and so all of a sudden, when I thought I had exactly the right amount of money to buy this game, I had come up short. And so I, like, just in this moment, I'm kind of freaking out. I don't know what to do. And so I end up, like, looking up at my dad. And, and he's standing at the counter. And he's looking at me like, what do you want me to do? And I was like, well, I don't have enough money. There's this thing called tax. He's like, oh, I know there's tax. It's like, you didn't tell me that before we left the house? And all of a sudden, he, you know, he looks over at me and he says, well, I guess we'll have to come back in a couple weeks. And we left. <laughs> and I had to go home and I was like scrounging for change and everything that I could do. And finally, like a couple weeks later, he took me back to the store and I was able to get my game, but I was scarred for life. Like, what happens if I'm ever in like a life or death situation and I, I don't have enough to make it through? Is he just gonna look at me? But I realized like he was trying to teach me a lesson and that lesson is that uh, sometimes, excuse my language, life sucks because this thing called tax or these things come in our way that, that maybe we don't quite account for. We can't quite hit the mark and you know what's funny is um, uh, about a, 
I don't know, six months ago, I took Noah, uh, my son, up to, to five and below, and he wanted to get something, and he had his money and his cash and all this kind of stuff, and he walks up to the counter, and they, they ring it up, and he's got like an extra 18 cents in tax, and I look at him, he's like, you got 18 cents? And he's, let's go, right? And we walked out of the store, and, and you know what? Like, sometimes you can look at that and you're like, that's bad parenting. No, I say that's good parenting, all right? Teach him a lesson, but... You know, the reality is there's some things in life that it's not that big of a deal if we come up short. It's really not, in the grand scheme of things, a big deal if I got my game the one week that I wanted it or if I had to wait two weeks. It's not really that big of a deal if Noah wanted his, like, fifth thing of, uh, of candy from five and below or he only got the four. It's really not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things. Can I be honest to you? I know this, is, this might, might hurt, but it's really not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things that the Eagles lost. Oh, too soon? Too soon? But it's really not that big of a deal, right? Or maybe even, uh, how many of you guys, you guys ever create like New Year's resolutions? We're still in January. Who is still on their path for their New Year's resolutions? One person, two people in the entire room. Everybody else, you're like, oh, I'm gonna read the Bible more. And then you got to Leviticus, and you're like, oh, I'm done. You're like, I'm gonna go to the gym, and then it's snow, and you're like, no, I'm gonna sit on the couch and eat ice cream. Right? So there's some of these things that maybe it's not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things that we come up short, but can I tell you, there are some things in life, and you better know what they are, and you better be in tune to them, that if you come up short, they have some drastic impact. Can I, one we actually just talked about this, this morning is raising your children. Husbands, wives, can I just tell you, in the grand scheme of things, your job, that business is probably going to close at some point. Your name's no longer going to be on the wall. You're not going to be getting paychecks anymore, but your children are the legacy that you can leave on this earth. And so I hope that you're paying attention to how you're raising your children now and not hoping for the best later. Maybe uh, some of you, if you're a doctor or you're a surgeon, it's pretty important you don't come up short when you're performing heart surgery. Or Jesse, I know he's here somewhere. He's a pilot. It's a pretty big deal if you come up short on the runway. Right? But I want to talk this morning about one of the things that I think is the biggest danger that if we really examined our lives, if we examined the culture of the evangelical church in America today, we would have this. We would have no idea what our life purpose is, and if we do, we are not walking in it. And it is a great danger for us to live our lives here on this earth for however many years that we get, and we get to the end, and we say, yeah, we built a nice house, and we got the promotion, and yeah, we got to go on vacations and trips, and, and we had followers and, on Instagram, and, and, and all these different things that we live this nice, cushy life, but at the end, we came up short on the one thing that God put us here for, and that's to exalt him, to point others to him, and to build his kingdom. Our church, before we ever had a meeting or a gathering or an event or anything, we sat down and we prayerfully came up with the dream, the vision that we felt like God had given us. And there's this, this page full of things in there, but, but the one thing is this. If you want to summarize everything, we are here 
We are believing, we are praying, and we are expecting for nothing short of revival in our city. Nothing short of revival. And I know some of you are like, well, that, that's, that seems kind of crazy. That seems kind of ambitious. But can I tell you this? It's not just the job of our church. It's the job of, of God's people in churches all throughout this city to be sold out to the mission, the purpose, the calling that he has for us, not to just blend in, not to just post a couple things on our Facebook wall and say that we're Christians, not to vote a certain way but to live our lives in such a way that people would look at us and say, yes, we want what you have. We are called to build the kingdom. And I'm just gonna say this for our church, by the grace of God, we are not coming up short. That as long as I am the pastor here, we will not get complacent. We will not get comfortable. Yeah, we got a building coming. Where I'm excited about that. Yeah, we raised some money. We got some money in the bank. I'm so excited about all these things that God is going to do. But when we get in the building, we don't get complacent and comfortable and say we've made it and we've arrived. When we've built a crowd, we don't say that's enough. No, there's people that are all around us that need the gospel. They need the hope of Jesus. And we are his hands, his feet. We are the light in the darkness. And so I'm just gonna tell you, we are not coming up short. We're gonna keep moving. Moving forward in audacious faith, believing that we serve a God who can and a God who will. So this morning, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at a prayer in the book of Ephesians chapter 3. And every time we look at scripture again, we want to remember that the Bible was written for us, but it was not written to us. So that means this, whenever we start to look at scripture, we have to examine who was it written to? Who was writing it? What was the culture and context? What was the original understanding of the audience as they were receiving this? And what's really fun for this is the book of Ephesians is quite literally a letter. It was a letter that the Apostle Paul was sending to the church that was scattered around the city of Ephesus. And to give you some context on Ephesus, Ephesus was a pretty large city at this time. It was actually the third largest city in the Roman Empire behind uh, Rome and Alexandria. And, and Ephesus had become this center for commerce and trade, and there was a lot of people coming in and out. There was a lot of different influences. It's, it, it, Ephesus is centered now in modern-day Turkey, and so it's kind of in this, this Eastern Asia uh, or Western Asia uh, part of the world. And, and what's happening is, is that there's all these different influences coming in. And they're bringing their ideas and they're bringing their thoughts and they're bringing their philosophies and they're bringing their worship and religion along with it. And what happened is, is, is that Ephesus kind of became this melting pot that people would kind of take, oh, I like a little bit of this. I like a little bit of that. Uh, let's kind of put together and then suit me, which sounds nothing like the American church today, does it? And, and so in Ephesus, um, we actually read in Acts chapter 18 that, that Paul he goes on a journey after he leaves Corinth and he goes into Ephesus, into this city, and he establishes a, a group of believers that were meeting in a home. This group of believers began to grow and multiply, and all of a sudden now they have a church that is spread in houses and buildings all throughout the city of Ephesus. That is our hope, that is our goal for the city of Philadelphia, that we would grow, that we would multiply, that we would be in homes and buildings all over this city so that we can see the hope of the gospel preached. Paul, he begins to pour himself into others, and 
Maybe if you've read your Bible, you've heard the names Priscilla and Aquila. They were a husband and wife who were instrumental in helping build this church in Ephesus. And along the way, they end up coming and they're discipling a man by the name of Apollos, who was this, this passionate, fiery guy who had a little bit of twisted theology, and they begin to disciple him into Scripture. And what happens is Paul, he hands this church over to the people, and he begins to, to go about and resume his traveling there's a couple different times that we read about Paul coming back to the church in Ephesus or, or, or Paul meeting with some elders in the church of Ephesus. But now in this letter of Ephesians, the church in Ephesus is about 10 years old. This is a, somewhere about three decades after Jesus has died and resurrected that they are receiving this letter from Paul as he writes sitting in chains in prison. So I want you to understand that as we're reading this, there is a man who has given his life over to the gospel. He, if you want to call somebody a radical follower of Jesus Christ, this is that man that now he's sitting with a soldier on either side of him, chained as he's reciting this and someone is pinning this letter to send to this church that he helps start. And it says this in verse 14 of chapter three. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, What's funny is if some of you might appreciate this, but I'm pretty positive the Apostle Paul had ADHD. If you begin to read any of the, or any of the epistles that, that the Apostle Paul wrote, you're going to see that he's, just, he's, he's passionate, but he's kind of scatterbrained in some of this thing. And actually, in verse 14, he's going back to what he started, a thought that he started in verse 1 of chapter 3. And then he gets so passionate Sometimes this is what happens to me, right? You get so passionate that all of a sudden you realize you started a sentence, you go on this whole other thought, then you come back. And so this is what Paul is doing in this moment that he's saying that in verse one, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I'm coming on behalf of you, the Gentiles. And he picks up in 14. And because of that, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, somebody look, look at the person next to you and say, he's got riches. He's got riches that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. What he's saying is this, I don't want you to look strong, look tough, and look like you've got it all together on the outside, but you're crumbling and weak on the inside. I think that's a picture of far too many people in our day and age that we put on this bravado, we put on this, this, this face, and, 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 and we walk out of the house, and we, kind of, you know, we have to kind of get ourselves geared up to, to make ourselves look stronger, to look like we've got it all together, to look like we're confident and happy, and yes, our life is great, and, and all this, and on the inside, we're really struggling, and we're hurting. And what Paul is, is saying to them is this, Listen, I don't care what it looks like on the outside. What I'm praying right now is that in the, in the riches of God's glory, in the riches of his power, that he may grant you to be strengthened where it counts, on the inside, through the power of his Holy Spirit. Verse 17, so that, he wants you to be strengthened, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, a lot of times we can gloss over that and be like, hey, I, I, yeah, I gave my life to Christ. Doesn't that mean that, that Jesus already lives in me? Yes, he, he does, but you know what this verse is really implying when you look at the original text? 
He's implying this, that, that your, your life would be so filled with faith that Jesus would be comfortable dwelling there. Modern day phrase, make yourself at home, Jesus. That you, you can come in anytime. You've got refrigerator rights, right? You've got every right to, to go in my junk drawers, to go in and look in my closet. You're like family here. You are so comfortable dwelling in my life that everything is open to you. Nothing is off limits. And he says this, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. This is interesting here. A lot of different scholars, they have different reasonings of what they think that Paul is, is associating with this as he's writing this, but I believe it's this, is that he's telling you that Measure the immeasurable. Live your life in such a way that you are testing the limits of God's love, not testing the limits of his grace. That, that's called sinning and excusing it. And if you're new here, yes, we are a church that talks about sin. We are a church that believes that, that we need to repent of our sin. We need to come and we need to give our lives. We need to walk not in the ways of this world. But what this is saying is this. Go in such a way that you are testing the limits of God's love, that as you, you, you go and you live, you, you are, you're sharing it with people, you're, you're caring for people, you're doing the work of the ministry, you're doing the work that he's called you to do, and even when it seems hopeless or hard or difficult or impossible, you are testing the limits, and you know what you're gonna find? You can never reach the end of God's love. He's saying pursue the depths. Dive in. This isn't surface level. This isn't shallow. This isn't superficial. Would you just go all in to the love that God has? And I think it's interesting, too, that he's saying that you may have strength to comprehend what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. I believe this is a callback to 1 Corinthians 2.9 when when the Apostle Paul, he's writing and he's saying what no eye has seen or, or heard or understood. And he's talking to the mercy and the wisdom and the power of God. In Romans 8.35, it says this, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, famine, nakedness, danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But it says this, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And get this, get this. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what does this mean for, for you? What does this mean for me? It means that even when life gets hard, even when we're walking in the direction that God is telling us to walk in and things aren't peachy keen, things aren't easy, it means that we can still pursue, still march forward because his love will meet us there and his love will follow us there and his love will guide us there and his love will strengthen us there so that when we wanna give up, we can receive the abounding love of Jesus Christ that no height, nor depth, no circumstance, no trial, no tribulation can separate us from. 
That is a good hope this morning. The Apostle Paul continues in verse 19. He's saying that I want you to have strength to understand the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of God's love and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. You can't even understand it. You can't even comprehend it. You can't even begin to put it in a box because look at yourself. Look at me. Why would a God who is holy and perfect and righteous sitting in heaven look at you and I and say, yeah, 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 I love you, all of you. Your mess-ups, your hang-ups, your issues, all the things that you've got, the areas that you feel insufficient, yeah, I love that too. Some of you this morning, that's the hope that you need to walk in, that you need to receive, that God loves you. God loves you. And you can't understand it. And if you try, you'll get a headache. You'll get a brain freeze. Because it says the love of Christ, it surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled, if you've got a Bible underlined, filled with all the fullness of God. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And this is my first point this morning. God's desire is for me to be filled. God's desire is for you to be filled. The question is, Filled with what? I know some people who are full of it. (laughs) This is not the right thing. But God's desire is for you to be filled with him. And and, and I love that this verse is, you, you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What Paul is saying is this, you can't contain it. It's not gonna run out it's not the, the tap that's all of a sudden going to go dry. No, you, you, you can't get enough of the fullness of God. And as soon as you think you have, there's, there's more. There is more. God wants you to be filled. And I wonder if you look at your life, do you feel full? You ever go out to eat and... Um, it's, it, it's like not the, the best food for you. I'm sure you guys all just go to like salad works, right? But every once in a while, right? You go to this restaurant or you go somewhere, you're like, yeah, this is like a cheat day. Every day is a cheat day. <laughs> and you just start eating and you're like, oh, I'll take some of that or I'll take some of that. And you, you just keep eating and eating and eating and eating and, and you're consuming. But what happens is you, like, you waddle to your car And you sit there and you just feel like bloated and nauseated at the thought of all that you just consumed. And you're full, but you aren't nourished. And the thing is, is that God doesn't want us to be full and malnourished. He wants us to be full and abounding in nourishment and strength and power. And so it's not a matter of looking at your life and saying, yes, I'm full. What are you full of? And we are on this this rat race called life where we are constantly on the chase of of, of filling ourselves up. We fill our schedules. We fill our minds. We fill our our, our banking. Like we try and do everything just to fill, 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 fill. But what are we actually filling ourselves up with when it comes to our faith? Are we in the word 
This week we were going through a week of prayer and fasting and I think there's some of you that you're thinking, I will, I, I'm just not doing it. I love food too much. And you're like, I, I, I'm just really not that spiritual either. You know, I don't, I don't really, like, what is fasting? And I think some of you this morning, the Holy Spirit's gonna nudge you a little bit. Can I be honest? The American church has gotten so wimpy. We're like, well, you can fast in whatever way you want. You know, if you, if you watch one hour of TV every night instead of, you know, five hours, then that's fast. But can I tell fasting biblically is a sacrifice. And I'm tired of like, like lowering the bar of what fasting is so that everybody can jump over it. We need to sacrifice. We need to fill ourselves up, not with the junk, not with the nourishment that this world is trying to give us. We need to starve ourselves from that and fill ourselves on the overwhelming food that Jesus has for us in his word, in his presence. And so some of you, maybe that's the practice that you need. You're already planning, like, I'm not gonna fast, or, or I'm gonna do this, or I'll do... I don't care. I think that every single person that's hearing my voice right now, whether you're here or online, I believe that you can fast at least one day this week. I believe you can. And I believe that as you do, and not just like, I'm gonna not eat today, I'm gonna fill my calendar, and I'm gonna get more work done. No, I'm not gonna eat. I'm gonna take that time to go get in the presence of God. I believe that you're gonna see some things shift in your life. And I'm not talking about all of a sudden the money in the bank account's gonna come, or the thing you've been, I'm talking about your heart is going to shift. That you're gonna think different on that day. You're gonna feel different on that day. And I'm telling you, you're gonna pray so much more because once that stomach starts growling, you, <laughs> dear Lord, help me. But I just think that God wants to fill us up. God wants us to be a people who are so full and overflowing with him that it is evident to the people around us. And many times, being full of God is not about getting more of God. It's about getting less of everything else. David, in the Psalms, he says, my cup runneth over. Many times, it's just, God, I need more of you. Yeah, I, I, we, we need more of God. We, we sang that already, but so much, it, it doesn't start there. It starts with less of everything else. As we strip away all the things that, that we've used to distract ourselves and to numb ourselves, to make ourselves feel better. There's gotta be a moment where we come back and we just sit in the presence of God and we get in his word. We get down on our faces before, before him and ask, what is it that I'm holding on to that I need to surrender so that I can be more full of you? Let's continue. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. Now I've, I've heard that verse quite a few times in my life and if you've gone to Hobby Lobby, you've probably seen it on the, the wall decor. 
Maybe you've heard the song and it talks about this and really what I wanna do is I wanna break this down for us a little bit this morning so that we can understand again the proper context and what is the meaning that the Apostle Paul is trying to convey to these people but also to us today. And I love that in this prayer, Paul sandwiches the middle part with praise. Did you notice that? In the beginning, he starts and he says, to God the Father, who everyone on earth is named. And he begins to go on the attributes that he is beyond all understanding, that his love and everything else is beyond measure. And then he shifts into what a lot of times in, in Scripture is called doxology, where all of a sudden it's now this, this praise back to God and, and reciting to God who he is. And he's saying, now, okay, I, I, I've told you the prayer and the thing that I'm trying to, to, to convey and, and to, to, to communicate to you but I want you to understand that I'm not just praying this prayer to anybody. Who am I praying it to? To him who is able. And I've talked about this before, but many times we're we're used to bringing our things to people who aren't able to do anything at all. Can I be honest too, some of you? you? You need to stop talking so much at work to the people who are powerless to change anything. You know what that's called? Gossip. What if we like flip the script here and instead of, instead of going and talking to people about stuff that ha- have no control over it, what if we went to the one who was in charge? What if, what if in, our, in our, our times that we are struggling and that we're hurting and all, like, I, I think that we need people. I, I think we need community. I think we need accountability, all these different things. But sometimes we need to go to the one who is able to address the situation we tell other people all the time about all our needs and all our issues and all our things and all our complaints. And, and, and I think God's up in heaven. He's like, hey, I'm here. Don't you want to come to me? Don't you recognize this, that I'm not just like any other? I am able. And it tells of this picture that, that nothing is outside of the reach of God. Nothing is beyond him. Nothing is too hard for him, too difficult for him, too impossible for him that he is able, and not just able, he's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Some translations say immeasurably more, abundantly, immeasurably more than all we could ask or Think and I don't know about you. I got a pretty crazy brain, so I can I can conjure up a lot of different thoughts and ideas of what what could happen. And it just humbles me. Literally, I, this week I was in my office and I was just humbled by the fact that as as big as I can dream, God is even more powerful, and not just by a tiny bit. He is abundantly more powerful, more able. Some of us, we get our hope taken away by things of this world that God is looking at and is like, you're getting, you're getting worked up over that. Don't you know? When I was um, growing up, my dad was a, uh, a pastor, youth pastor at a large church. And at our school uh, was actually in the same building as the, the church was. And uh, I have two older brothers. And the funniest, this is, this is kind of bad, but... So, so my dad was, he, he, he kind of had some influence. Everybody knew who, kind of who he was and all of that. And um, my oldest brother, J.D., one time, 
he was getting in trouble by his teacher in class, and it, it happened and happened. And, and um, he turned to the teacher, and he says, don't you know who my dad is? He said, I overheard him talking on the phone and saying that you're getting fired. <laughs> and the teacher believed him, went and called her boss crying that she thought she was getting fired. And what's funny is like, that's the complete wrong take of this. Like, don't you know who my dad is? But I believe there are some situations and circumstances that we can just go, hey, you know what? This may seem big. This may seem impossible. This may seem improbable. It may not seem like there is any way. Hey, but don't you know who my dad is? Don't you know my father in heaven? That he is able to do immeasurably more, far abundantly more than all I could ever ask or think or dream or come up with. But here's what I want to tell you. This is not a magic genie lamp. Sometimes in, in our faith, we can take these verses in isolation, but you have to look at it in the context. Who is Paul writing to? He's writing to the church about the mission of the church, about building the kingdom of God. So this is not he can do immeasurably more in the situation that I want him to do so I can get a yacht or so that I can have this much money in my bank account. What it's saying is this, that even when the world around you looks bleak and the mission seems impossible, he can do all things. It continues, it's, he can do all things. He can do immeasurably more, but, but, but even more so, how, how, how? According to the power at work within us. You know what that means? At some point, these things got to come into action. At some point, these things got to move. At some point, we have to recognize that we have the power, the same spirit who raised Christ from the dead is the spirit who lives within you and I as believers. And he's saying, according to that power, according to that spirit, according to that which is living inside you, that's what I want to do the immeasurably more through. That's what I want to do, and it baffles me, and it blows my mind, but it just shows the depth of God's love that he would choose you and I to do his handiwork. That he would look at us and say, yeah, you're messed up and you're broken. You know how many times I feel insufficient, that I feel inadequate, and those are the very moments that God looks at me and he reminds me that it's not about my own power and giftings and skill and experience or anything that I bring to the table other than my open hands and my humbled heart. Last night, I, I went and um, I'm prepping to fast, so I went to Chick-fil-A last night. Um, and on the way back, I just, uh, I do this often. I drove by our uh, future building. and I pulled in the parking lot and, guys, if you only knew if you only knew uh, how many times I've pulled in there and just been astounded by God. And I sat in that, that parking lot and I was looking over at that building and hear me, the building is not the answer. Jesus is. The building is a tool but it is also a demonstration of the power and the faithfulness of God that who are we 
And I'm sitting here looking, I was like, God, our church is like a year and a half old. A few years ago, this was just a dream. This was just a vision. This was just a hope. And here we are, and we have this influence, and we have people, we have hundreds of people who call our church their church home. And, and not only that, we, we have a building that you've given us that is way beyond what I thought we would be in, that you provided every dollar that we needed. And it just shows me that God is in the business of using nobodies to do big things. So if you keep thinking that you gotta, you, you gotta bring all of your skill and your gifting and the church is blessed to have you and all this nonsense, you can go somewhere else. But if you're here, I don't care what experience you have, what skill you got, if you've got an open heart and a surrendered life to Jesus, you are welcome here. Join the mission because we're gonna see God do immeasurably more, abundantly more than all we ask or think or imagine according to his power, his Holy Spirit at work in and through us. And in verse 21, why? So that he can get the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever and ever and ever. This church, his church ain't going nowhere. And I'm not talking about Keystone North. I'm talking about the people of God. I've wrestled with this because I, I get in our day and age that this might not come across the right way, but this is my second point that I want you to write down this morning. Don't worry, I only got two. <laughs> God's desire is for me to be successful. Everybody likes that, right? But just like the first point. Successful in what? Can I tell you something? God's not sitting in awe of the worldly kingdom that you build. God isn't sitting like, did you see all that they, did you see that? Look at that house. <laughs> he's not looking over at the apostles and, the, and, and all of the saints in heaven and looking, he's like, did you see? They got like 60,000 followers on Instagram. Did you, did you see all of the money in their bank account? Look at all the friends they have. Did you see the trips they got? That's pretty cool, right? God is not enamored with your stuff because he's the God who spoke it into existence. But in scripture, we see multiple times where Jesus, he looks and you know what he is enamored with? Great faith. People who are sitting here in moments of, of struggle and trials and they trust that he is the God who is able. So this morning, my, my hope is, is, is for you to receive this, that God wants you to be successful, but not successful in what you think you should be successful in. Th those can be byproducts, but he wants you to be successful in the mission, the purpose that he created you for, which is to give him glory and to build his kingdom. How many of you even use that as a metric for your life? What impact did I have? What influence did I have? How have I built the kingdom? How have I honored God today? 
How, how have I, I glorified the name that is above every other name today? How, how have I shown other people who he is? Do you ever feel like you can't get any traction in your life? Maybe like, it seems like every time that you, you think you've got things under control, something happens or something comes against, or, or you, you just feel like, man, I'm never making the progress that I want to make. Can I tell you? I think sometimes it's the grace of God showing you that you don't want to make the progress you think you want to make because you're working on building the wrong thing. You're working on building your earthly kingdom. And many of us were like living our lives like a kid in a candy store that we're willing to spend all the money we got for this short-sighted need, this short-sighted desire, instead of giving ourselves to the eternal calling that he has. And my fear, my, this is my fear, is that some people in this room you look at and you're like, man, I wish I had my life like them. You know what, I actually, my heart hurts because it's like they've got everything they want in this life, but for eternity, they're gonna live with the regret of what could I have done? What could I have been? Who could I have affected? What lives could I have changed if I had gone all in with the God who can do immeasurably more than I could do with all of my resources, with all of my talent, with all of my skill? So this morning, I just wanna encourage you. Don't waste another year. Don't waste another year trying to do the things that you want to do and ignoring the calling that God has for your life. Because trust me, it is so much more worth it when you look back and you see the impact, the heavenly, eternal impact that your life can have. And that's not coming from somebody who's a preacher, that that's my job. No, it's, it's my calling. And it's yours too. Some of you this morning, you know what you need to do? You need to believe again. You need to get your hopes up again. You need to be reconciled with the fact that God can use a nobody like you to do his work and that lives can be changed, that families can be changed, that this city can be changed by the power of the gospel and a people who are surrendered to it, that we serve a God who can do the impossible. Do we believe that God is who he says that he is? We need to get our faith up this morning. We need to get our hope up this morning. We need to lift our eyes up again this morning, not on the struggle, not on the trials, but focused on the God who is the author and perfecter and sustainer of our faith, who began a good work and is faithful to complete it. No matter what's in front of us, we can submit our lives to him and see what he can do this morning, church. And I'm, I'm just saying, we got a mission and we are not coming up short. That doesn't mean we gotta be perfect. That doesn't mean we gotta get it all together. It just means we've gotta be surrendered and focused and keep our eyes centered on him, the one who reigns, the one who sits on the throne of all thrones, the one that every knee will bow before and every tongue will confess that he is Lord.